Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. It's October 6th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got a special brief for you this morning that is shaping America and the world. Over the past few years, you've probably seen the headlines about skyrocketing crime rates in America, whether they be for murders or carjackings, to most especially retail crimes like shoplifting. In the world of retail, they call this shrink the loss of goods due to things like employees stealing stuff or outside groups of people that rush in, take a load of items, and then usually resell that stuff on websites like eBay or Amazon. Well, today we are going to dive into this issue of crime in general, but retail crime in particular, exploring how bad it is and ultimately what's causing it. Because if we can identify the cause, we can come up with solutions, which is great. If I can offer you a tease, I have a cause for this crime. Two causes, actually. That's coming up. Later, we close out the podcast with a quick update on illegal migration, plus details on whether or not the right report will go behind a paywall. But first, let's get to our special report of the morning. About a week ago, the retailer Target made some news. They announced that they were shutting down nine of their stores in New York, California, Washington State, and Oregon because of rampant crime. And data show the target was right about their concerns. In Oakland, for instance, police have so far this year responded to over 100 911 calls to that one target store involving things like burglaries, smashing grabs and fights. Oakland police have confirmed that robberies in their town so far this year are up 18 percent. Meanwhile, in New York City, shoplifting is up 47 percent over the past two years. With customers at that city's Target store that's uh, being shut down, they told local media outlets that it is very common to see thieves walking out of that store with all kinds of goods that they didn't pay for, and nobody tries to stop them. In Portland, Oregon, three Target stores there will close because of crime, and city police data back up that decision. There has been a 54% rise in shoplifting in the Rose City just this year as compared to last year. Now, I should note that it's not just that people are stealing or shoplifting stuff more often. It's, it's actually becoming more violent. To that end, Target CEO Brian Cornell has said that during the first five months of this year, his stores have seen a 120% increase in thefts that involve violence or threats of violence. Well, as you would expect, then, it's not just Target stores that are getting hit with these waves of very violent thugs. It is the entire retail industry. Indeed, retailers like Dick's Sporting Goods, CVS, Walgreens, Home Depot, Lowe's, they are all saying that theft and violence in their stores are growing exponentially. In fact, uh, the Macy's uh, chief executive recently said that organized retail crime, the violent stuff, is at levels, quote, we have never seen before, end quote. 
Although I should note that some media outlets are a little bit suspicious of these corporate claims. For instance, Barron's Magazine highlights that most of the theft figures that these companies are citing, they come from self-reported numbers, right? and not all of them define theft or shrink in the same way. So it could be that the data and the claims are a little bit off. Plus, it's also true that some cities and states define and calculate these crimes differently. In other words, it's a little bit hard to say with a high degree of confidence that we know for sure how bad this problem really is. And yet, it's pretty tough to argue that there isn't a problem at all when you read headlines like this. Two months ago, 50 thugs in Los Angeles rushed into a Nordstrom department store, pepper sprayed the guards, and ran off with $100,000 worth of clothes and merchandise. Or consider this. In Washington, D.C., a grocery store there is now removing all name brand products because people keep stealing the stuff off the shelves to resell it on online marketplaces like Amazon or eBay. Or maybe you have seen this recently. I certainly have. Retailers are locking up more and more of their goods behind plastic cases. And if you've seen that and you've been frustrated by it, you're not alone. Forbes magazine and others are reporting that upwards of 75% of Americans now shop at stores that are locking up items. And the companies that make these plastic cases, by the way, report that their sales are skyrocketing. But I should note that these plastic cases aren't necessarily solving the problem. In June, for instance, a man in New York City used a blowtorch to open a lock on one of these plastic cases. He then stole about $500 worth of cosmetic products, which are some of the more common items that are stolen because of the ease of resale. But here's what's interesting about that case of the blowtorch bandit. The security guards and the staff at that store were instructed to not stop that thief or call police. Now, the reason allegedly was that the corporate leaders of Walgreens, in this case, feared that the thief could hurt the employees. But skeptics point out that there might be another reason. These same retailers made a number of commitments to racial justice groups that they would back off the involvement of police during these thefts, all in order to help decriminalize thievery, was the argument, all in the name of racial equity. Now, to refresh our memories on why they would do such a thing, during the summer race riots of 2020, racial justice groups demanded that retailers across the country dial back on their support of very stiff penalties for shoplifting and organized crime. That is because, they say, too many black and Hispanic people were ending up in jail. In fact, some groups, like the radical Black Lives Matter group, they went even further. In fact, they insisted that theft and shoplifting were actually a form of racial reparations. There was even an author who wrote a book that is entitled In Defense of Looting. And her argument that was promoted on media outlets like NPR was that actually mass shoplifting is a good thing, especially during moments of upheaval or riots like we had back in 2020. And in response to these various racial demands and arguments, retail groups such as the National Retail Federation actually agreed to meet most of these racial demands. And that seems incredible, hard to believe. Let's refresh our memories with a quote. It's from three years ago from that same retail federation that is now complaining about shoplifting and thefts. Quote, retailers are not about filling the jails of tons of people that have stolen small dollar amounts of goods, end quote. In other words, a couple of years ago, retailers were saying that they would focus on other kinds of thievery and, the, well, they'd allow the small petty thieves to do as they'd like. And as of this morning, they are. Consider that guy who used the blowtorch in New York. 
He did that at 2.30 in the afternoon. His face was fully shown, and at one point he nodded hello to a bystander. And that utter indifference to the law might help explain why shoplifting has grown at many percentages in New York City over the past five years. At least that's according to the New York Post. But that still doesn't quite capture the why. Why is all of this happening? For instance, why aren't prosecutors going after these thugs? And fundamentally, why are so many people stealing stuff in the first place? Do they just have no moral codes? Or maybe maybe they're just hungry and they're you know stealing stuff to feed themselves. In fact, that was the argument that was made a couple of years ago by the New York socialist and representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. People just need bread to eat. Well, to answer all these questions about why and wrestle with these issues, well, it starts to take us into the road and the realm of analysis and opinion. So before we get to that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks. And enjoy the following messages, remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or a service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our special brief this morning on America's crime wave, especially those retail crimes. And we pivot now to analysis and opinion on the why. Why is this happening? Why aren't these thugs being prosecuted? And who exactly are these people and why are they stealing stuff? So to help us understand this, let me start with a personal example. So about a month ago, I was at a local CVS when two guys came in, they were masked up, had hoodies on, and they started filling up their backpacks with a bunch of stuff. And it was very obvious they were just planning to steal everything. And I turned to the clerk and I said, are you not going to try to stop them? And he shook his head, no. And he said, they come in here twice a day to take stuff. Oh, well, uh, why don't you call the cops then? And he said, well, corporate tells us not to. Plus, the cops here, well, they're not going to come anyway. The city doesn't prosecute these crimes. And the CVS clerk was right. In this case, the county prosecutor is a woman named Laura Conover. And here's what you should know about her. She is an avowed leftist. And I say that because her campaign was funded by a radical Democrat donor named George Soros. And he is funding the political races of people just like Laura all over the country to adopt something called restorative justice. In fact, on Laura's website, she proudly says that she is building her state's first restorative justice program, which means that we need to know what the heck this is. Well, according to the Biden Department of Justice, restorative justice is a new way of policing our communities. And here's how it works. Criminals don't pay for a crime with a punishment. Instead, criminals are expected to restore or repair the harm that they've caused. So here's how the Department of Justice uh, under Mr. Biden describes it. Quote, restorative justice is about understanding and responding to the needs of each involved party, that is the criminal and the victim, and also understanding and responding to the broader community with a collective creation of a just outcome, end quote. All right, well, that's a little bit of a gobbledygook, isn't it? Let's talk about what this means in terms of practical outcomes. Right? The criminals are asked to understand and accept that what they did was bad or wrong. Okay. Meanwhile, the victims of crimes are asked what they would like to have happen throughout the, the process of justice. But as they do, they too must ask about their role in the crime, which to be clear, they were the victim in. Now, if that seems absurd, 
Well, here's the, the Biden Department of Justice explaining it. Quote, we ask that you, the victim, think back on a time that you caused harm to another person. Maybe you committed a crime or maybe you hurt someone intentionally or not through your words or actions, end quote. So the idea is that if everybody is reflecting on how bad they are or have been in the past, then, quote, we offer a more holistic and humanizing view of what it means to pursue justice, end quote. Which means that district attorneys like Laura Conover or other Soros DAs, well, criminals don't usually go to jail. Effectively, they, they get a therapy session with their victims. But again, the victims aren't necessarily victims because they too have to reflect on when they have probably broken the law at some point. In other words, at the end of the day, let's just forget the whole thing. And that's what's happening, folks. Criminals in this country increasingly don't fear consequences because there aren't any. So that's restorative justice. And there are over 70 district attorneys that have been put into office all around this country who embrace it. Now, in the transcript, you can see if your city has one of these restorative DAs. Uh, For what it's worth, they are in places like Nashville, Salt Lake City, Denver, Indianapolis, Detroit, New Orleans, and yes, those cities where Target is now shutting down their stores, including Portland, San Francisco, Seattle, Los Angeles, and New York City. So that, I believe, is reason number one that we are seeing this uptick in crime in America. There are no consequences to criminality because of what is an otherwise leftist experiment in restorative justice. But there's something else. And to understand it, I want to tell you about a recent piece of news from Washington, D.C. Last week, local press reported that a group of 45 kids will walk into a CVS drugstore right before school. They will steal everything inside and then go to classes. And these kids have also figured out when the CVS store gets their deliveries. So they show up after the the, the, uh, delivery trucks leave and then they steal whatever was dropped off. So let's ask ourselves a question. Putting aside the Soros DAs and the the removal of consequences, right? Let's ask, why do these kids think it's okay to commit these crimes? Well, I think that we have part of the answer that we spoke of before the break. They're being told that actually stealing and looting, it's okay. It's good. It's a form of reparations. You are owed those items, people say. Okay. But the other part of the answer for this outrageous behavior is this, ladies and gentlemen. The United States has the highest rate in the world of children raised by a single parent. No other nation on planet Earth even comes close. Digging into the numbers, consider this data from the Department of Justice. About 45% of America's black kids live with only their mothers, no father. Meanwhile, for Hispanic kids, 24% of them only have their moms. And for white kids, about 16% come from single-parent homes. So stepping back, let's ask ourselves, what happens in a country where 45% or 24% of any particular racial group's kiddos only has one parent to care for them? Well, as we think about that, we actually have some good data A recent book was published only a couple weeks ago. It's called The Two-Parent Privilege. And as the author laid out, it is absolutely disastrous when kids are raised by only one parent, most especially boys. So in short, the author found that from two-parent homes, well, those folks are generally more economically stable and over time, 
they are richer. But of equal importance, the author notes that it's not just the parents who do better. The kids benefit too. They have better educational outcomes and here it is, folks, lower behavioral issues. And that was most especially true for boys. The boys, as it turned out, later became dysfunctional or impoverished men. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, the dysfunction that we're seeing at CVS or Target or your grocery store with all those roving bands of thieves, it's fundamentally because we have a profound dysfunction in America's homes. Now, that's intuitive or obvious for most of us, but that fact that moms and dads are important, that having a two-parent home is really important, well, for some reason, that got very controversial at some point, very political. As most folks know, social conservatives have long argued in favor of this point, with leftists and Democrats saying, no, that's just not true. But as of this morning, even leftist media outlets like NPR are saying the left is wrong on this one. In fact, here's the title of a recent uh, podcast from NPR. Quote, it's time for liberals to face the facts. Two parents are better than one. End quote. By the way, if you're interested, the links to that recent book and that hour-long NPR podcast admitting that liberals are wrong, well, the links are in the transcript. So folks, wrapping up my report to you all this morning, what I hope that we are thinking about today and frankly, every day to come is that when we see these headlines about increases in crime, whether it be retail or carjackings or murders, the fundamental problem is the state of America's family. What data show is really obvious and really painful. We are a broken people and we are broken because our families are broken. And that is ultimately because a lot of folks are having babies out of wedlock or they are raising kiddos with just one parent. And that comes with a price. And that's not a Republican belief or a religious view. That is demonstrated fact, as that two-parent privilege book demonstrates quite clearly to us this morning. So then we might wonder, how do we fix this problem? How do we fix the American family? Well, part of the answer is we, we start with the admission that we have a family problem. And that means that we've got to get these science deniers, who are the Democrats in this case, to admit that they're wrong. That is step number one. Step number two is a series of policy solutions and community choices to ultimately encourage marriage, for instance. We'll talk more about these kinds of ideas in future podcasts. But I'll say this in the meantime. Until we can fix this very difficult problem of the American family, we are going to have groups of children and adults in this country of all skin colors running around our cities like a pack of wild feral animals. And they will have no or limited moral codes. And that's not even their fault. They were born and raised that way. But nevertheless, it means that they will have very limited respect for life and the law. At the same time, these restorative district attorneys, they're not going to prosecute or jail these people. And that means that our country is going to continue to struggle. And we are living, I think, in that nightmare right now. So the short-term fix, until we can restore the American family, is to get organized in our towns all across this country where these Soros DAs are located. And you got to remove them from office. And then you put back into office district attorneys that put people in jail. And that is where these criminals must remain. And that is how we start to restore the American dream. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's special episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. 
We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. Two more things, actually. First, developing news on the immigration front. Joe Biden has reluctantly agreed to build more border walls and barriers in Texas. He's made clear, though, that he doesn't want to, but that there's a law that's requiring him to do so. Over the weekend and in the coming days, I'm going to be watching for how this unfolds, especially and namely for what kinds of structures that he intends to build and how quickly he does it. Because it may be that whatever those answers are, well, we don't have much of an impact on illegal migration at all. We'll see. Second, the government of Mexico this morning is shipping illegal migrants from their southern border with Guatemala to our southern border. As Reuters News reported on Wednesday, President Lopez Obrador is organizing buses all the way from Guatemala, filling them up with illegals and sending them to American cities like El Paso and Tucson. Although I should be a bit more accurate, the illegals are getting dumped off at the U.S. border nearest to those cities, and then the illegals falsely claim asylum to be let in. So that's what I'm going to be watching for over the weekend and the coming weeks. How many tens of thousands of migrants is Mexico going to help push over our border and whether or not Mr. Biden does anything about that. Finally this morning, an update for you about the right report. On Monday, I shared that I would be taking the podcast behind a paywall to help me fund the podcast's operation. And then on Wednesday, I shared a twist. I got some news, and I asked y'all for some counsel. And whew, you all wrote in. I have several thousand emails that I am still reading through and I'm going to respond to. But here's the decision. I will keep the podcast public for everybody, as is. For my paid subscribers, you will still get the special access to transcripts, that ad-free experience, and the opportunity to dialogue with me if you'd like. Also, a potential new benefit. I'm asking advertisers to give my paid subscribers a, a special deal, say for 30% off instead of a 20% off for some of their goods and services. So a hearty thanks to everybody who wrote in, and I'll tell you, my special gratitude to so many folks who were so kind and so gracious with their feedback. Not everybody was so nice, unfortunately, but most were. And that speaks to the, the caliber of listeners that I have and the, the tribe that we've created. I am absolutely honored to do this podcast, to take you with me around America and around the world every day. One last thing. I mentioned on Wednesday that there was a very special clothing company with their products made right here in America and that they would be joining me as an advertiser. We'll be sharing those details on who it is and how much you can save next week. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you on Monday, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.